Let's open our Bibles to the first of the 17 prophets that close out the Old Testament, the book of the prophet Isaiah. I want to use this sermon to overview and introduce the book to us further and to excite you about the whole book. And then in our second service, we will cover chapter 1. We are Bible Christians. We are New Testament Christians. We're 2,000 years past the cross, on the other side of the cross, the finished side of the cross. Thank you, Lord, for that. When we turn into the Old Testament and we look at a book like Isaiah, we are not going to see Jesus Christ on every page directly because it is the schoolmaster. We're in the Old Testament. It's the schoolmaster. It's to bring us to Christ. It doesn't have as much hope as the New Testament. It's more obscure, and the condemnation is severe and great. But it will lead us to Christ. And you know that in the book of Isaiah, whether it is chapter 7, with the virgin-born Son of God, or chapter 9, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, Son of God, or chapter 11, an ensign raised from the seed of Jesse, meaning the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, that would lead the Gentiles into his kingdom, or Isaiah 53, or Isaiah 50, or the new heavens and the new earth of 65 and 66, or many other places in between, like the Feast of Fat Things in 35, there is a great deal about the kingdom of Jesus Christ for us in the book of Isaiah. But it won't be evident on every page. So we, I want you to remember that. Galatians chapter 3 tells us that the Old Testament in certain ways was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Because if you just read the law of Moses in the first five books of the Bible, you will find the things there sufficient to condemn you. But if we read the first five chapters of Romans, we find sufficient things there to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to excite you about this book this 66-chapter book of the Bible. It's 5% of your whole Bible. How well do you know it? 5% of your whole Bible. 66 chapters out of the 250 chapters of the 17 prophets that ended out of the 1,189 chapters of the Bible. I want you to love it. Remember, I've shown you one division in it that you can see, and it's the first 39 chapters are rather severe, mostly severe, in their judgment and warning to Judah. And then starting in chapter 40, we have 27 chapters of a great many promises. And chapter 40 begins with the words, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. That is a nice, simple division. But when we open the book of Isaiah, it should be like opening a treasure chest. Right. Do you know your favorite verses in Isaiah? And really, I wouldn't accept any from Isaiah 53. You know, I'm, I'm sorry if you have one in Isaiah 53. I'll accept one from Isaiah 53 if you'll share with me your other nine favorites. Because I'm going, I doubt that you really have a favorite if it's in Isaiah 53. It means that you haven't read the rest of the book. Or it, it frightens me that you may not have read the rest of the book. Because there's too much in the rest of the book just to fall back on the chapter that is so commonly used that you wonder if people read the rest of the book. It's a choice to love every word of God, and I hope you'll do that with the book of Isaiah. 
I want to commend my biological and triple brother in talking about this fact of loving every word and loving Isaiah and the great problems I was running into, trying to limit myself to a hundred favorite texts. He told me that he had gone and pulled out some journals of his that he had done a few years ago where he had written down the favorite verse of each of the last 250 chapters of the Bible. Those books of prophets. And that sounds like an exercise that would be a great thing to do. Amen. To read the book of Obadiah and find your favorite verse. To read the second chapter of Micah and find your favorite verse in it. And to write it down. What a spiritual exercise, not only to learn the Bible and then learn the prophets, but to encourage yourself with some great verses so he had gone back and read those verses. That's what you write them down for, right. so that you have that journaling record. It's a choice to love every word of God. I've given you some chapters that you can read so that you'll know the historical context of four kings of Judah in order. And they are Isaiah, and then Jotham, and then Ahaz, and then Hezekiah. And Isaiah served under those kings. Now those kings covered 113 years of reign. 52 plus 16 plus 16 plus 29 is 113. We know that we can find, we can find in chapter 6 that in the year that King Isaiah died, Isaiah saw a vision. And so we know that 52 years is already gone from the 113. And we find in Isaiah 36 through 39 that in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Isaiah was right there beside Hezekiah as he faced the challenges of Sennacherib and then his fatal illness and then the ambassadors from Babylon. And that's only 46 years. But we know that Isaiah was longer than that because we have chapters preceding chapter 6 and so forth. I've given you some things to read and I've shown you in a, on a chronological table how the other prophets fit in with Isaiah. Expository preaching is going to take us through this book, chapter by chapter, section by section. I am not going to deal with the individual words as closely as I did in John and Romans, and that is to prove to you in the Lord, and not necessarily in that order, that I understand that I'm supposed to be an able minister of the New Testament. Isaiah does not have the value of either of those other two books. Yep. You say, well, you've sure got us worked up about it if it's got less value. I get worked up about all the Bible, Amen. but I want to keep it in its proper place. The, new the Bible's full of progressive revelation. And so the farther you go in the Bible, the more that is revealed about God's actual operations and plans for us and the hope of eternal life and what Jesus Christ has done and is doing for us. We're only going to find little hints about it in the book of Isaiah. But when we read Romans or John or Hebrews, it's all about him. Right. And, and it's the focus is on him. And so that's why there's a little bit of difference. I hope you'll pray for your pastor. As I study and try to rightly divide this book of the Bible, I hope you'll pray for me. I hope you'll put some effort into learning Isaiah so that you can grasp and learn its lessons better than if you just approach it ignorantly. You can be reading it ahead. If you read two chapters of Isaiah each day, you can complete the book every month. You could read the whole book of Isaiah, only two chapters a day. Remember, remember, it only averages 19 verses, 19.75. If you really want to be exact, 19.78 verses 
a chapter, so it's not very much reading. You could read two chapters a day. An alternative to reading it is to let Scorby read it to you. He reads so fast, you'll need to do it a couple times. Just turn Scorby on and let him go. And use one of the devices that we have so that the words are flipping up in front of you. You're seeing and hearing at the same time. And stop him when you need to, or slow him down if you have one of those special players and sophisticated technical devices where you can slow down a DVD. You could memorize some favorite verses from various chapters during our series. You could listen to the sermons again during the week so that you are very familiar with what we've covered. The title of the book, I know I've been over this before, but I want to look at it again. The book of the prophet Isaiah. It's a great title. God's put in a book, 66 books. So we have 66 books called the Bible. And this book is in writing. And it's by a prophet. And a prophet is a divine messenger. An ambassador sent down from heaven. And this one's named Isaiah. Salvation is of Jehovah. What a name. What a book. And it's a prophet. This is how God speaks to us. He doesn't call our names in the middle of the night. Jonathan. Jonathan. And I don't respond with, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. But it gets close. Mm -hmm. Lord, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And he speaks to me out of his law, out of his word. He speaks. And I want him to speak to you in the book of Isaiah. And I want you to have the attitude of Samuel. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I hope that right now you're 40% irritated because you wish that we were into chapter 1 and starting down, don't nod your heads, I don't need that <laughs> discouragement, but that we were getting into chapter 1 where the Lord would start to speak to you. But I'm going to share some verses with you from the whole book because I want you to be excited about God speaking to you by the prophet Isaiah in his book that he's given to us. No book has more boasting by Jehovah of his salvation of his people than right here. Not even Job. Job boasts about creation. So what? Isaiah boasts about salvation, and salvation is far greater than creation. Why? Creation, he's going to burn it all up, every single bit of it. He's going to burn it up, reform it, and give us a new heavens and a new earth. But salvation, he's never going to undo because he saved us with an everlasting salvation. And that's just going to keep getting better and better by His grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you'll use the table that I made for you so that you can appreciate the timeline of the kings, major events in world history that the Bible cares about, and the other prophets that were contemporaries of Isaiah. Some of you have heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls. A little lad throwing a pebble into a cave near the Dead Sea heard it break something, and so he went in there, that cave, and found some clay jars. And those clay jars had some manuscripts in them. And of those manuscripts of the Bible, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they had a complete version of Isaiah. A complete version of Isaiah. It's called the Isaiah Scroll. And that Isaiah Scroll was dated a couple hundred years B.C., which made it over 1,000 years earlier than any manuscript of Isaiah that they had. That is, the Masoretes. The Masoretic text of the Hebrew Bible. The Masoretes didn't have anything but 1,000 A.D. 
and they found something 200 B.C. And they were very close to the Aleppo Codex of the Masoretic Text that the Masoretes had. All 66 chapters, about 200 B.C. But this, you know, the only reason I want to tell you this, so that if anybody ever asked you, do you ever talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls? Yes, our pastor did once upon a time. Because that's all it's going to be, is once upon a time. We do not care about close or very close when it comes to Scripture. Do you all understand that? We don't care about close. We don't care about new translations that are close. We don't care about new translations that are very close or old manuscripts that are close or very close or very, very close. All we care about is faith, fruit, facts, and fools and a spiritual divine stamp of approval that God's put on the King James Bible and we don't need Dead Sea Scrolls. They're dead to us and they're only scrolls. We have a Bible. We don't need our Bible to be helped by anyone. And so let's rejoice that we have a book called the Bible, called the King James Version of the Bible, called the Holy Scriptures, that God has put His divine stamp of approval upon, and we can trust what we have in our 66 verses and 12, 66 chapters of Isaiah and 1,282 verses of this prophet. If you want a simple theme, God will punish Judah and the nations of the world for their sins. But he will send deliverers, especially his son, to save elect Jews and Gentiles to rebuild a glorious kingdom. Amen. And that's what Isaiah is going to teach us. He sent Cyrus as a shepherd and savior of his people, and he sent the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're on this side of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah is a messianic prophecy, easily more than the other major prophets, like Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel, and even Daniel. And so we want to remember that. There is a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. Some have called it the fifth gospel because it has so much to say about the Lord. It's referred to or quoted 60 to 75 times in the New Testament. 21 of those times it will actually say, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. It'll be Isaiah in the New Testament, folks. And I remember I've got to address everyone in here, lambs, rams, and ewes. And so Abigail... In the New Testament, when it is Isaiah that Jesus is talking about, he calls him Isaiah. Because in the Old Testament, his name is Isaiah, and that's Hebrew. And when you bring it into the New Testament, that's Greek. And then it comes into English, so Isaiah becomes Isaiah. Did you like that? Elijah becomes Elias. Joshua becomes Jesus. So that if we back up, Jesus' real name was Joshua. Because Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. So as you're reading the New Testament, children, and you see Isaiah, it's talking about Isaiah. If you see Eliseus, it's talking about Elisha. If you see Elias, it's talking about Elijah. If Jeremiah, that's too easy. It's Jeremiah. Lord, give them all understanding. There's so many exciting topics that we will run into in the book of Isaiah. Today we're going to run into the fermentation process and purpose of wine. Now it's going to be the least point I make all day, so let's just get it over with. But it is a point that I will make from verse 22, and it's a verse that you'll want to remember 
if you ever are discussing or debating the issue of wine with those who don't believe it, those who are teetotalers and think the Bible condemns drinking moderately of wine and strong drink. There are outlined possibilities, that, and many of them, because Isaiah is a difficult book to give you a simple outline. I have chosen at this point, and it is fluid. It is dynamic, meaning I may change it. Because I would love to give you a simple outline, because when a book is this big, it is helpful to know what section you are in and what its main purpose is. Let me show you very quickly. Chapter 1, you should know what that's about because you read it last evening. It's a warning of judgment. Chapter 3, do you know what it's about? It's going to be next Sunday, but chapter 3 is about God taking away the women and judging a taking away the men and judging a nation by putting children and women over, women over them. Chapter 5 is the parable of the vineyard, so it's all it's judgment. And so verses chapters 1 through 5 are warnings against Jerusalem. But when we come to chapter 6, it's different. There, Isaiah has a vision of God. And in chapter 7, we have the virgin-born son in verse 14. And then in chapter 9, we have the government of the kingdom of God being put on the shoulders of Jesus Christ in verses 6 and 7. And then in chapter 11, we have a root out of the stem of Jesse in verse 1. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's also in chapter 12 about salvation, because it says, He also has become my salvation. There's a great deal in chapter 12 based on chapter 11. And so chapters 6 through 12 are the book of Emmanuel. That's what he's named. In chapters 7 and 8 will come up again, the name Emmanuel. Now if you look at chapter 13, look at the first four words. The burden of Babylon. The burden of Babylon. And so it's a warning against another nation, and that is going to continue for 12 chapters. 13 through 24 are warnings against nations. As you flip through these chapters, you're going to... Chapter 14 is about Babylon. Chapter 15, look at the first four words. The burden of Moab. Chapter 17, the burden of Damascus. Chapter 19, the burden of Egypt. Chapter 21, the burden of the desert of the sea. Chapter 24, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty. It's all the nations. So for 12 chapters is section 3. Now I should have written this down for you, but I have. And I've given it to you a couple of times, and I'm just helping. I want you to think through the book of Isaiah. Five chapters of warning, seven chapters of Emmanuel, 12 chapters of warnings to the nations, because God's going to judge and punish them as well. In chapters 25 through 27, we have Judah preserved. And there's preservation in these chapters about the Lord. Look at the middle chapter is 26. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Where did that nation come from? That certainly wasn't in the first five chapters. But here, Judah is preserved, restored, recovered, and blessings are sung. And you know verses 3 and 4, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. 
So that's section 4, which is chapters 25 through 27, Judah preserved. This little outline will be in an outline available on our website within the next 24 hours. It's a long outline of introduction to the book of Isaiah, but if you look in it, it'll be purple, and it will say, Outline by Message. And so there's different messages in the book of Isaiah, and I've just shown you that this fourth section, chapters 25 through 27, is Judah, is preserved, and that's a great message. Chapters 28 through 31 are God's warnings to Israel under the name of Ephraim and to Judah. So it's back to warnings. Much of this book is warnings. Let me tell you something about chapter 1. Chapter 1 and chapter 66 are very, very similar about the hypocrisy and backsliding of Judah. 1 and 66. Because Isaiah, the way he's recorded and the way the scribes have put him together and the way God preserved these chapters in the order that God gave them to us, 1 and 66 are very similar in warning about ceremonial religion being an offense to God. Chapter 1 is going to tell us God hates church attendance. God hates church attendance unless it's backed up with a virtuous, zealous life. In 66, he's going to say, when a man offers oxen, I consider it murder. When a man offers a lamb, I consider it a man offering a dog's neck. It's going to be the same. So there's warnings, warnings, warnings. And so the fifth section is chapters 28 through 31, and they are warnings to Israel and Judah. But when you get to 32 through 35, there's blessings. Look at 32. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. As we open up this section, and 35, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Everything that was once dry and lacking in vitality is now going to be alive, full of vitality and prosperity. So it's blessings of salvation on Judah in this sixth section of chapters 32 through 35. And then look, as soon as you get to 36, you get Kings and Chronicles all over again for a four-chapter historical section. Right in the middle of the book is four chapters of history. Sennacherib, Hezekiah's illness, Hezekiah's prayer, the letter, and then the ambassadors from Babylon coming right, right in the middle of Isaiah. So that's section number seven, which leaves three sections, and we call them the three books of consolation. And I'll just very quickly mention them. The book of consolation, Jehovah and Cyrus, chapters 40 through 48. And I've alluded to these over the years. Chapters 40 through 48 is the book of consolation, Jehovah and Cyrus. God is going to boast about himself and about Cyrus, that he has raised up the man from the east that he has brought in that is going to deliver them from Babylon. Chapters 49 through 57, the book of consolation, God's judgment on the nations and the return of the Jews. In chapters 49 through 57, and then chapters 58 through 66, the book of consolation of the future of God's elect remnant and their duties to please Him. And so we have the book of Isaiah. 
Now see, when I look at the book of Isaiah and there's 66 chapters and you read a few of these chapters and it goes back and forth. Chapter 13 is against Babylon. Chapter 44 and 45 are against Babylon. Back and forth it goes. And so it gets confusing without a little bit of an outline to know what is this section put together for. And we can see a division at chapter 40 from that, that historical section of, verse, of chapter 39 ends that first 39 chapters and it moves into the positive promises. It's a book of consolation immediately. Can you get that from the first word? What's the first word of chapter 40? Comfort. It's, it's, it's the book of consolation. It just keeps piling on about Messiah and the kingdom and the Gentiles being converted and brought in and Jesus quoted from it in the hometown synagogue at Nazareth when he stood up and said, this day these words are fulfilled in your ears. Uh, and so there we go. There's a little outline uh, that we took a little bit of time to go over. You know, there are, there, this, this outline that you'll have available to you will have single word summaries for each chapter. Single words are dangerous because they don't say very much, but each chapter does have a particular uh, word for it that might summarize it. I've summarized chapter one. It could be backsliding. It could be hypocrisy. I've summarized it as Sodom because that's how the Lord God addressed the Jews in chapter 1. Chapter 2, I've, I've summarized as terror, because chapter 2 is terror. Chapter 3 is women. So some of these you should know. Chapter 5 is vineyard, and you should know that. What's your favorite verses in uh, Isaiah? Look at chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 5. Just turn some of the pages of this book. Now, I hope you've all done it so much that you're impatient with me right now. But I fear that not all of you have done it. So let's do a little bit of it together. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. You should know that verse. That could be one of your top 10 or top 106 like me. But to know that verse, it reminds you of the chapter and it reminds you of the lesson of that parable of God comparing His church of the Old Testament to a vineyard and all the good things He did for it for that vineyard to produce prosperously. And He didn't get a great vintage out of that vineyard of Judah at all. Chapter 6, has anybody here read this verse before? In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that verse. Thank you, Lord, for that chapter. Thank you, Lord, for the first eight verses. Thank you, Lord, for Isaiah's response twice. One response is, woe is me, and that should get all of our attention. And then his response of, here, is, here am I, send me. I was 19 years old, and I thank God for Isaiah chapter 6. My poor speech class had to endure a persuasive speech on the grounds of having a vision of God and the effect that it should have on a person. When I was a terrified 19-year-old, afraid of standing in front of my speech class at Bob Jones University, Isaiah 6 is a, is a wonderful chapter. Verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, 
Here am I, send me. I was totally gripped. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving that vision to Isaiah and for leading me to that little chapter out of the 1189 chapters of the Bible. Look at 11, chapter 11. Do you understand that the last five verses of Isaiah chapter 6 are some of the most quoted verses in the entire New Testament because about the blindness that's promised there on the Jews? Jesus quoted them over and over. Isaiah 11. Look at verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Look at verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And that is what we're enjoying right now. We don't have any sacraments to keep to get us to heaven. Jesus has done them all for us. Jesus has done everything for us. We simply need to obey Him. That he's, He is interceding for us at the right hand of God. But there is an ensign put up, a military banner, to call a military unit together. But this is the Lord Jesus Christ, the captain and commander of His people. And the Gentiles are going to rush to it. And that is why we've been converted. Because this has been fulfilled in our lives. Chapter 11 should be precious to you. I'm going to overlook the wolf dwelling with the lamb in verse 6. We'll come to it in its time. Look at chapter 28. Chapter 28. You flip open any one of these chapters and read it, and you read it humbly and submissively, and read it with the words and spirit of Samuel. He'll show you something. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. He'll show you something. Isaiah 28 and verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. He that believeth shall not be confounded. New Testament. Is that verse ever used in the New Testament? <laughs> The Lord Jesus Christ used it Himself. Peter used it because it's about the Lord Jesus Christ as the tried cornerstone. Chapter 31. Here's a different kind of a verse that could make your top 100. Remember, there's 1,300 verses. To get a top 100 is not hard. The problem was stopping it at 100. Isaiah 31. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. That, that right there is enough for a favorite verse out of a long list to remind you that men have always looked for help in other places than where they ought to look. It's to go to government. It's to go to confederations with other nations. And here's what the word, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord! Exclamation point. Right. So my volume wasn't uncalled for. No. <laughs> my, volume, my volume was called for. That's a great verse. Because people look everywhere for help. 
But there's one place to look for help. Can you remember Isaiah 31 and verse 1? Can you remember? Woe to them that go to Philly for help. We'll let you go for help. But we're going to ask for the, the Holy One of Israel to bless the effort. Right. You, know how, you know how we're to take that. Look at chapter 43. This should bring back some recent memories. Isaiah 43. These words, I see them all the time. I see them fulfilled all the time in your lives, in our nation's life. This next week, this week, this week, since it's the first day of the week, this week we'll remember our nation and its independence. And, and the nation will be celebrating, but the nation doesn't know how to really celebrate because they don't know how to give God the glory for the good things that were and are in America. Verse 3, I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Right. Incredible verses. Incredible verses. So I shared with you some statistics of World War II. I'm just trying to jog your memory. In World War II, the Soviet Union lost 15% of its entire population in the war. Though they were only fighting on one front, and though their nation was not completely overrun, but only a quarter of it. The nation whose, nation whose countryside was completely overrun and fought on 10 fronts lost 8%. Germany. The United States of America fighting as the lead contender in two different theaters of war, lost one-third of one percent. Credible. I gave Egypt for thy ransom. That's a practical illustration. Do you know that for God to have vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, and if he chose you to be a vessel of honor, he gave others to be vessels of dishonor, for you to be a vessel of honor, because he had to have both, according to Romans 9, 21 through 24. 48. Chapter 48. I, I altered my top 105 so that I could squeeze this one in. Remember, I had to write you an update and say I was, I was distraught, because I, I didn't know how to get 48, 13. I forced it in. Isaiah 48, 13. Mine hand, this is the Lord speaking, also hath laid the foundation of the earth. There's so many statements like this in the book of Isaiah. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. The span is the distance between the tip of your thumb and your little finger when your hand is stretched. It's nine inches on average. The cubits from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. On average, it's 18 inches. But the Lord spanned the heavens with his right hand, the spread of his little finger and thumb. When I call unto them, they stand up together. When God calls to the heavens, they stand up together. Right. When he says, jump, they say, how high? Amen. Amen. There's verses like this all the way through the book. If you read it, 
Send me your hundred. Just jot them down. Find one in each chapter. Some chapters, though, are, are very rich. Look at chapter 50. Chapter 50. We got to use this one next Sunday for the Lord's Supper. But I'm not going to read that part of it. Did they pluck out the beard of the Lord Jesus Christ during his trial, torture, and crucifixion? Did they pluck out his beard? Does it say that in the New Testament? No. It's... Do you believe it? Is Isaiah sufficient for you? It's a verse 8, it's verse 5 and 6. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. I gave my back to the smiters. Is that recorded in the New Testament? Yes, he was scourged. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Did they make fun of him and spit on him? In the New Testament, yes. But that middle clause, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. Here in the Old Testament. But I wanted verses 10 and 11. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Do you fear the Lord? Are there times you're confused and you don't know what to do? Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Don't you go anywhere. Just stay right where you are. The Lord's going to take care of you. Now there's another kind of people on earth that think they have the answers. They're in verse 11. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. So don't go looking for advice anywhere outside of God and His Word and His messenger. Because those that go looking for it outside and make themselves a little fire and think they have light and think they have understanding, they're going to lie down in sorrow, but the Lord will take care of those who keep their trust in Him. Amen. You say, do verses like that really? Absolutely. I'll cut you off before you get your complete question out. Yes, they excite me. Go back and listen to the sermon on Isaiah 50 preached a number of years ago, and you'll know that they excite me. Oh, I could do this all day. Do you all understand, and I've got to address your children, Judah was a nation made up of two tribes. Josiah, two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. Capital was Jerusalem. When Isaiah refers to Israel, it often means the ten tribes whose capital was at? Come on up and join me. <laughs> Samaria. I hope you can remember those. Now Syria was the pagan heathen nation north of Israel. What was its capital? Damascus. North of Syria was the Assyrian Empire. And its capital was at Jonah's favorite town. Nineveh, not his favorite town. It would have been his favorite town if it would have burned up, because he, he was looking forward to that. He was really looking forward to that. But these, these names are going to be mentioned. 
Then there's the Babylonian Empire, and its capital was at Babylon. That's, that's easier. But the Babylonians were also known as the Chaldeans became they, because they came out of the area of Mesopotamia called Chaldea. We've been over enough about Isaiah. It doesn't really matter very much about Isaiah because the Bible doesn't tell us very much about Isaiah. It does say 13 times in the Old Testament that Isaiah was the son of Amos. A-M-O-Z. But we're not told anything about Amos. Now the Jews say that Amos was the brother of King Amaziah, the king just before the four kings of Isaiah's ministry, which would make Isaiah and King Isaiah first cousins. That's what the Jews say. But we can't prove it with a Bible. So I just tell you, that's what the Jews say. That's their scribal tradition about it. We know that son of Amos must have some meaning or the Holy Spirit wouldn't have it 13 times. So we, we read it and go on because it doesn't really matter who Isaiah was. It doesn't really matter who his first cousin was or his second cousin. Because Amos said, I was a herdsman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Did that, does that mean his prophecy isn't very important? No. Because God called him and he was a man of God. David was called from the sheep coats and he was a prophet and one of God's favorites and greatest of all time. Jewish tradition tells us that Isaiah lived to be 90 and was sawn asunder by Hezekiah's son and is what Hebrews 11.37 is speaking about when it says that some were sawn asunder. Who was the son of Hezekiah? Manasseh. Hezekiah's father was one of the worst kings of Judah. Hezekiah's son Manasseh was the worst king of Judah. Jewish tradition. I'm not going to say much more about it. Once upon a time, I told you that Manasseh sawed Isaiah asunder. But we can't prove it from a Bible. Isaiah had a fabulous vision in chapter 6 that you know about. We just read verse 1 and verse 8. But this doesn't have to initiate his ministry. You know, some, some want to read Isaiah 6 and say, this is where he was called to the ministry. God said, who will go for us? Here am I, send me. But think about some other men that had uh, repeat confirmations of their ministry. Do you remember in Acts chapter 10 that Peter was called up on a housetop and had a vision? There was a call to the ministry, just slightly varied from the Jews to the Gentiles. How about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was called the ministry on the road to Damascus, but there he was in Asia Minor, heading west, and a man from Macedonia says, come over and help us, and we assuredly gathered that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel in Europe. Okay? So there's Isaiah 6 is just a confirmation of him. I mean, if you go read Isaiah chapter 6, God tells him, I want you to preach and be part of the ministry that closes up their eyes and closes up their ears so that I do not heal them. Right. Which is quoted many times in the New Testament. Isaiah was married under Ahaz. We're going to read about it in chapter 8. He had a son named Shear Jashub. A remnant shall return. The names meant a great deal to Isaiah's sons because God told him what to name them. And then he had a son, Maher Shalahashbaz. The spoil speedeth. 
The prey hasteneth because it was describing Assyria's overthrow of Israel. Because Israel, the ten tribes, with their capital at Samaria, Josiah told me, was overthrown by the Assyrian Empire. And so Isaiah had a son that pictured that. Now let me share this with you. Did anyone that listened to the Lord Jesus Christ know that he had not gone to school? This man knoweth not letters. He wasn't educated. I want you to watch him and rejoice with me on how he solves a great seminary issue. Austin, you ran into it at Auburn. Because, starting at 44 and 45 of Isaiah, Cyrus is named, Cyrus is named 150 years or more before he was even born. It is told how he will take the city of Babylon. It was told he would take it easily. Details are given of it. Details of other nations being overthrown are given in the book of Isaiah. So that young men, they get converted by a King James Bible. They're on fire for the Lord God of heaven who gave them a book and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they go to seminary and get ruined. I believe it is safe to say more pages have been written about what I'm about to tell you than in commenting on the 66 chapters and 1,292 verses of Isaiah. And that is that there are three men that wrote the book of Isaiah. Proto-Isaiah wrote chapters 1 through 39. Deutero, that's number two, Deutero-Isaiah wrote chapters 40 through 55. Tritio-Isaiah wrote chapters 56 through 66. And they've written books about it. That's what, that's what you get for going to seminary. Undermine your... Do you know why? Because men who teach in seminaries, 99 out of 100 of them, do not have faith. I'm talking about all seminaries. Mm -hmm. They don't have faith, so they deny the supernatural. They must put the writer of chapters 40 and 45, where Cyrus is named, as after the exile in Babylon, because he's writing history, not prophecy. I thought it was called the book of the prophet Isaiah. Unbelievable! Now I could show you a whole list of proofs that they're wrong. They're in the outline that you're going to have. I just want to show you one. Oh, and you know, once they got started and it caught on, when you go to seminary to keep your job, to keep tenure, to be able to publish books, you must agree with each other. You may not step out of line. And so they don't. But once this was established, then men went, went into the first 39 chapters and began pulling out chapters of the first 39 and applying them to even more Isaiahs. Watch. Do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. But he never went to seminary. You sure? Could he handle the seminary graduates when he was 12? Yes. Turn to John chapter 12 with me. I met a United Methodist 
minister in the last few weeks online. He loves the words of God as much as we do. He just doesn't know better yet on some things. I like him a great deal and I commended him as highly as I could while he still holds to things that we can't believe. But he sure does want to defend the Bible and he sure hates Deutero-Isaiah. <laughs> and he sure hates Treatio-Isaiah. Watch the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh. Remember, anything after chapter 40 was written by Deutero or Treatio-Isaiah, and anything before 40 is written by Proto-Isaiah, the real Isaiah. John chapter 12 and verse 38. Let's get 37 because of the context. John 12, 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, <laughs> He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Now John, in looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, puts these two together in John 12, 37 through 41. The prophecy in verse 38. Lord, who hath believed our report? What chapter of the Bible is it from? Isaiah 53. When did Isaiah see the glory of God and get the prophecy of hardening their hearts? And chapter 6. <laughs> the same Isaiah, because it said, Isaiah said again. You love your Bibles? Are you 12 yet, Josiah? Close? Close? Okay. You should be able to handle the scribes. Justice, you too. Anyone in here? Tw be able to handle the scribes with the New Testament. They don't know what they're talking about. You would not believe the amount of literature on the different authors and writers of Isaiah to get rid of the supernatural so that they're writing history looking back at it instead of looking forward and giving prophecies of the glory of God. When Isaiah chapters 40 through 48 are all about this, I am the Lord. I declare the end from the beginning, and there is none like me. Amen. That's the whole, for, for eight chapters it goes on like that. Right. Thank you, Lord. Amen. What a mess. There's, there's a whole lot more you can read on that, but you don't, you don't need it. Why did, why did Isaiah write? Because Judah had backslidden from the glory days of David and Jehoshaphat to the evil of a, of a lazy nation, high places all over. the, And then Ahaz just went, terribly wicked, uh, the third king, while Isaiah ministered. Isaiah warned Judah of her sins, Israel of her sins, and all the Gentile nations of theirs. That's the, this is the purpose of the book. He foretold national and political upheaval of all the nations by God's sovereign rule of the nations of the world. He promised blessings to Judah by Hezekiah, by Cyrus, and by Messiah Emmanuel. He foretold great things for elect Jews and Gentiles in the gospel era of God's Son. How did he do it? By what method? The warnings against sin were to bring repentance. The promised judgments were to bring repentance. And the promised deliverances were to produce comfort and hope after repentance. Amen. 
back and forth. Isaiah warned and comforted. You're going to see it in chapter 1. There's going to be three verses out of the 31 verses of chapter 1 that are promises of comfort and prosperity and, and purifying his elect remnant, but the other 28 verses are going to be severe warnings of what God's going to do to hypocrites and backsliders. There's corruptions in the text, and when we come to them, I'll show them to you. I can show you one right now. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. This is, this what, this is what blew many pastors' minds in the 1950s in America. The 1950s in America. The Church of England in 1870 said, we need a new Bible translation. We need to update this King James Bible. So they formed a committee. That's the Westcott and Hort Committee of the Church of England. And for 11 years, they labored. And in 1881, they issued the revised version. They had a 20-year copyright on it, so the Americans couldn't copy it until 1901, and it was called the American Standard Version. Then, in 1952, America got the revised Standard Version. And it was used by the liberal churches of America. And conservative pastors all of a sudden felt the pain and the danger of these new Bible versions coming. And in Isaiah 7.14, I'm going to change the word that is changed in the Revised Standard Version. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so there was the first clarion call to most ministers to realize the Bibles are being corrupted right before our eyes where the word virgin is taken out and the words young woman are put into the text. And some Bible versions are still doing that, but the, the Revised Standard Version took so much heat from conservative pulpits in America back then. But you know, now they all go with the NIV or the ESV and the message and other Bibles like that or novels like that. That's just one example. There's variations in translation, of course. In Isaiah chapter 11, the wolf and the lamb is not referring to some future millennial kingdom when actual animals are going to lie down together. That is such a carnally-minded, infantile, simple, elementary, foolish perspective on the Word of God when it is talking about the conversion of Gentiles and an ensign being raised to the nations of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's warring nations are going to beat their swords into plowshares and are going to come in peace and live together in the same congregation. This group of hot-headed people that we have in this congregation should be proof enough of Isaiah 11 without me hardly saying a word about it. Right. The fact that we're able to survive and make it another week and come back into the same room together is proof of God's grace in our lives and the wolf lying down with the lamb. I shared last Sunday, and I won't say any more about it except to mention it, that Ptolemy and the dates in all study Bibles and the dates in all commentaries, but a couple, are wrong by 82 years. Because Ptolemy made the Persian Empire 82 years too long. We know that Cyrus was God's chosen man, and when he issued the decree that Jerusalem should be rebuilt in the temple thereof, that started the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. And you young men, don't you ever leave that. That's believing Bible study. We're going to interpret Scripture as the Bible teaches us how to interpret Scripture. 
All our presuppositions are going to be taken from the Bible. We're going to use our King James Bible and not critical commentaries. We're not going to allegorize everything either. We're going to be looking for spiritual fulfillments. There, listen, a spiritual fulfillment of Gentiles being converted is more real than your idea of a literal fulfillment. I'm speaking to seminarians. Just because it's spiritual doesn't mean we're allegorizing and turning it into a metaphor. Right. We're simply saying that it was a spiritual accomplishment by the Lord Jesus Christ, not just a physical. Fulfilled prophecy is for God's glory, and we're going to see a lot of it in the book of Isaiah. Amen. Fulfilled prophecy is very important to God, thus his extensive boasting in Isaiah chapters 40 through 48, because who else can declare the future and bring it to pass? Amen. Our God can. And he wants you to know it. I'm the only God there is. That's why I was able to tell in former times the things that are not yet happening, and they will happen. Why don't you come near and tell me about any other God that can do that? And then, that is the proof of our Bibles being supernatural books, because we have a book named Isaiah that was written 700 B.C. that tells us about Cyrus the Persian. And we don't need Deutero or Tritio. We just need John chapter 12. And we don't even need that. All you need, there's so many other ways of looking at that issue. It's amazing that men choose to be ignorant and fight the Word of God right. when they could just submit to it, love it, embrace it, and believe it. The more familiar you are with Isaiah, the greater your benefit and joy by this study. If you'll let Scorby read to you 2 Kings 14 through 20 or 2 Chronicles 25 through 32, you'll understand the historical context of the book. If you let Scorby read to you Hosea, Amos, or Micah, you'll be able to listen or read those prophets that were testifying at the very same time in Israel to the ten tribes, Hosea, Amos, and Micah. I hope you'll pray about the book. Pray over the book. Flip through the book and pick out your favorites. Send me some favorite that you've never read before. It'll rejoice my heart. Pray for your pastor. Be excited about the book of Isaiah. It's 5% of your Bible. It's messianic. It's going to tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's powerful. God's going to boast in Isaiah like no other place in the Bible. He is going to refer to himself in the first person pronouns, I, me, my, mine, powerfully. We're, chapter 1 is full of them. Chapter 1, I, I think I opened up the preparatory email last night with seven occurrences in chapter 1 about the Lord hath spoken, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord God, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. All in chapter 1. He's going to speak to us. So speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I have heard. I have heard, Lord, but I want to hear more. And what I've heard and what you let me hear, I want to share with these so they can hear it as well. And we will bless thee and praise thee and thank Thee for all that Thou hast shown us in Thy precious Word. Amen. 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 Amen.